filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Jason, this may surprise you, um, given the the conversations we've had over the the course of this week so far that have forced us to record on Wednesday night instead of our usual Monday or even Tuesday night. Um, I kind of want to do a plumbing project right now. You, you would like to do some plumbing? I would like to do some plumbing. I, I just finished a plumbing project that I started on Sunday, and it took me till last night to, to really finish. Uh, I installed a new vanity in, in our bathroom, and the drains didn't align, so I had to figure out what to do there, and didn't have the right parts, and didn't have the expertise, and so... You know, try to do something about it on Monday night. It didn't work. And Tuesday, I finally had all the right stuff and glued some PVC together and and made a. You know, Monday night was taking a hacksaw to the the wall pipe, and then Tuesday was putting a new, essentially extending the the pipe from the wall to where it needed to go to, you know, catch the water from my sink. And now it works. You know, knock wood. It's it's not leaking right now. And I did it. And uh. Yeah, I kind of want to do more. It's 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 weird. I think it might be a chemical in the the PVC glue that just makes you want to do more plumbing projects. Uh, well, it'll definitely make you want to do something um, because I assume <laughs> that PVC glue is probably able to kill brain cells or at yes. least alter them in some way. There's a big label on the outside of the the container saying this product contains materials that are known carcinogens. <laughs> Great, and so you know. Open it up in a small con- contained space called my bathroom and, you know, just see what happens. Just get weird, man. Um, so, yeah, if you have any plumbing projects you want to you want to work on, you want to DIY, um, I probably won't have time to help out on them, but know that I really want to. Send us your uh, your various plumbing projects to have Adam just show up and do. Yeah, I, I figured there was a reality show on this for me. <laughs> or or send us send us a photo on Twitter of your your broken home with uh, various pipes uh, scattered to the wind and water spewing out of some wall. Um, and Adam will come fix it because he wants to, not I, because he's a plumber. I, because he would like to. Because I would like to do that. <laughs> um, I, I think I would rather do you know smaller stuff. Like my ultimate goal is to. You know, I I don't have room in my house, but I have a buddy who recently um, remodeled his basement, and he has um, the workings of a wet bar stubbed in okay. the wall. Uh, the electrics and the the plumbing are all there; it's just not built. And so that'll be a future DIY project, and I really want that project uh, because it's. But it's, you don't you, you don't know, have those existing wood. pipes ready to to go. Correct, and yeah, I don't have that, a basement. Right. But I want to help my buddy with his project, and he okay. lives much closer to me than you do. So his projects I might actually be able to help with. I don't have a plumbing project for you. Well, work on that, dude. 
All right. If if something breaks, I'll call you. <laughs> or do you want me to actually break something? I. I'll say no, but it's not a hard no. <laughs> if I broke something and told you I specifically actively broke something in my in my plumbing so that you could come fix it, you'd be like, "All right, <laughs> I, I guess." Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> but don't do that. Um, I'm not going to. That sounds terrible. I don't want. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible idea for to everyone think I'm, involved. Like, oh, I'll just break this water pipe, and it's the sewage pipe somehow. Like, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, that's it. This was a terrible mistake. If someone from HGTV wants to, you know, pay me to do a reality show where I learn how to do plumbing projects on the fly, um, while only slightly ruining people's lives in the process, um, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. He's Jason Anderson. Ben Bromley is on assignment this week. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we have spent a lot of time talking about DC United and the MLS Super Draft. And what do you know? That's what we're talking about tonight here on the show. Before we get to it, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, Keeping it simple, um, we don't have weather right now that dictates uh, a choice. It's actually not very wintry. I guess tomorrow's going to be like that, too. Um, So I just went with a a beer that sounded good. So I have um, Flying Dogs Raging Bitch Belgian-style IPA. Um, It's always a good one. It's Flying Dog, so um, they don't really screw anything up. Yeah, that's one of their flagships, their classics. I will say I've also got it in a... um, a Mr. Bow pint glass, and I should have put on my Maryland uh, cup sleeve beer cozy thing. It's okay. Uh, but I forgot. It's not here. You don't have to rub Maryland in anybody's face uh, visually uh, tonight. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's even if nobody were here, you would feel that compulsion, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just so we're clear, I am drinking a bourbon ricky tonight with. Um, some bullet um because like you said the weather doesn't really dictate anything and it'd been a while since i had a ricky and yeah. so i i had the citrus i had the club soda i had the bourbon i just said screw it i'm going for it nice and it is tasty so we have lots of dc united news to get through tonight um we're actually going to push some of it into the second segment and make that second segment after the break all super draft all the time um But the rest of this, we are going to go through in chronological order, which means starting on a big damn downer. No, Bill Hamid is out of U.S. national team camp with a knee injury. It's a meniscus issue with his right knee, the same one he had surgery on before last season. Uh, He had the national team doctor do whatever procedure needed to be done, and he's going to be on the shelf for six weeks, which puts uh, his return pretty darn close to the season opener against Sporting Kansas City. We don't know if he will be able to just jump in without much of a preseason or if he's going to have to sit out at least that game or possibly two or three games. We are going to have to see on that. But um, really tough break for Bill, who had a chance to break into that upper echelon of national team goalkeepers. Yeah, this was a... uh... You know, you've got a new a new coach in town, um, Klinsman. We've harped on at length for his goalkeeping evaluation. Um, this was Hamid's chance to step in and prove that all of all of not just us, but everyone that's been saying that he deserves more of a chance 
was dead on. Um, and it's being taken away from him. And it reminds me a little bit of um, Chris Pontius uh, in his experiences playing for DC and getting called to the national team camp only to have to withdraw due to injury. Pontius yeah, is actually in this camp. On this one, right? <laughs> right. Um, which is interesting because I started to suspect down the stretch of, of last year, I think they were in one of their final regular season games, he subbed out holding his hamstring and he was playing through it and he was definitely not at his best. And it just reminded me so much of things we've seen with him here. The union haven't said, oh, you know, he needs, he has a major hamstring problem or anything. Um, but given his history, it wouldn't be a shock to see them kind of not talking about it basically and seeing if it's not, if it's just a little thing or, if, or what have you. But anyway, um, it's uh, it's rough because Hamid wasn't even having to compete with that many. There were five goalkeepers, but Stefan Fry is ineligible to play uh, for the U.S. at this point. He he could become eligible, but he's not there yet. Then he withdrew anyway um, due to injury. Um, so the number of goalkeepers in camp that were there to compete with him, you know, David Bingham, Luis Robles, uh, I think he's safely better than both of them. Um, I know a lot of fans bring up Bingham as a, you know, a big objection uh, that he's even close to the pool. But I will think that I do say that out of those two, out of Bingham and Robles, I'd actually say Bingham is better competition for Hamid. Um, but the timing of it, it just, it really sucks because I know he's been out there um, working out during the off season. Um, he's been, I, I guess through his Instagram account, it's been clear that he's been out in California doing workouts mm -hmm. on his own. Um trying to be at his best for this opportunity and it's being taken from him. There's not much anyone can do about it. Right. Um, the only saving grace, I guess, is that United is in a pretty strong position goalkeeper wise. Um, we, we've seen Travis Wara play enough that we know he could step in if, if he has to play the, the opener or maybe this, you know, first couple games. Um, it wouldn't be a, such a situation where it'd be like United's in deep trouble having to start some guy. Um, yeah. They have a, a pretty capable backup that can step in and, and guide United through because with the way the schedule set up with the number of home games they have early, United needs to get off to a good start because uh, if if they let those home, gram, home games uh, go to waste early on, they might come to regret it down the road. You mentioned uh, the schedule and that was released in this last week as well. Um, stories for DC United. Um, for the 2017 slate of games, lots of Saturday night games at RFK, a lot fewer midweek games or Friday night games or Sunday afternoon games uh, in this one. Almost, I think all but two or three are, are Saturday night games. Um, not a lot Which of a major team. complaint uh, that I kept hearing over and over last season. Yeah. Um, the, the, the day of games, the games being on, you know, some pretty strange days. There was a, We've had a long run of Red Bull DC versus the Red Bulls games being mm -hmm. on inconvenient days. Yeah, those um, those games were always midweek. It seemed, and that's that's a story from from this one too. Um, DC United visits each of the three closest East Coast rivals um, at least once, and for NYC and Philly, they're they're only going once, and they're on weekends, mm -hmm. and. The Red Bulls game, the first Red Bulls game up there is on a weekend, and the second one is, I think, in the middle of the week. Um, but there's still, this is the best road trippable um, schedule we've had in a long time for people who want close uh, opportunities to to see United on the road. Mm -hmm. 
so that's that's a really good thing as well so i think this this schedule there there are some weird clusters of uh home games and road trips that i think are out of there's a control but yeah there's a um at the end of may uh they'll play at vancouver on the 27th and then at orlando on the 31st uh and then um la at home on june 3rd um so that's two games on turf on the road it, as far apart as possible. Apart, yeah. Yes. The maximum travelable distance in an in MLS, um, followed by a game against uh, the Galaxy, who obviously it's always important to put one over on. And maybe this year it might be a little easier to do so. Um, yeah. Watching their moves has made me happy. Yeah. Uh, which is to say it's not going well for them. Stadium. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe this is a... You know, it'll be a nice break. I will say they, after that Galaxy game, they get a week off. Um, so they'll have time to recover. But yeah, that one's a strange one, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, it also is a reminder that we do have to play Vancouver, because yeah. it seems like we play them once every, like, 18 months in in real time. And sometimes it's hard to remember that they're in the same league as, as DC United. Yeah, um, it always seems like they end up at the beginning of one season and the end of the next. Yeah. Um, and, that was a long stretch of that where they were just as far apart as possible. Um, not a lot of national TV games that goes with being on, on Saturday yes. all the time. Um, the national TV slots are, I guess Univision does have some Saturday night slots mm-hmm. this, this year rather than Friday night, but the, the Sunday games are the big English language national TV games. And, right. Uh, United not going to be on ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or even Univision all that often this year, which struck me as a little odd considering they spent the last three months of the year outscoring everybody in the league um, and and providing some really exciting games, which I guess they made, they decided on the TV schedule back in June. And so those, uh, that update didn't make it onto the, the schedule, which I thought was a little weird. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's also the enduring shift towards uh, United not getting on the list of quote-unquote big clubs. I saw um, the league website had someone put together a um, top 10 games on the schedule uh, sort of post. Yeah, so and, put that yeah, together. United is not on that list at all, um, no. even though I think the Red Bulls are on there like three times, um, which is a bit much. Uh, well, there were 15 national... TV games for the Red Bulls to to choose from, as opposed to three for DC United. Right, but it, this wasn't even like TV related. It was just yeah. what game do I want to watch? Period. Um, right. And I I feel like in a year where RFK is going out to at, at the very least not throw one of those in there just yeah. as a nod that way um, mm-hmm. is is a little silly. But um, everyone has the teams they want to watch, and there's still the league wide perception. I mean. Even in the past week, I've read articles about uh, the perception of DC United is the the team that struggled through June to score any goals and played pretty boring, uninspired soccer. Um, perceptions move slowly. People do not shift. Um, in some cases, it takes years for people to uh, shift their expectations. I'm looking forward to if United keeps playing the way they finished 2016 – we're going to get in like April. We're going to get like, where did this DC United team come from with all these right. goals and all this attacking play? And it's like, you didn't watch the back half of the season. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Um, on this, but that's on this program. We complained that United was in a point at one point. They had to score three goals to win because they couldn't, uh, they, they would allow at least two. 
um, which is the opposite of what a lot of people think of DC United. People think right. United are what Colorado I, is. I kind of when United I kind of wish that far on the spectrum. Um, one of our our SB Nation friends, uh, Kevin McCauley, who's been on the show before. Um, for a little while last year, he was doing a TV power rankings in which mm-hmm. it was just, um, how watchable is this team's games? And it wasn't like how good they were. Like there were some train wreck mm-hmm. teams near the top. Um, it was just what, how much fun am I going to have watching this team play? And I, I kind of would like to see that come back because I feel like United would be pretty higher up because I know that Kevin watches the games. Yeah. Um, Kevin actually does the homework and, I mean, he's in the area, so that helps him, but it's not like he's not watching Colorado or uh, Columbus, for example. Um, you know, he's seeing all those teams, and so would be able to indicate to people, that, like, you know, actually, you should be tuning into this other team a little more often. Um, but we're still in the world where the Revs are always enter- considered entertaining. and um, Which is hilarious, because they couldn't score a goal to save their lives last year. <laughs> Right, or until they changed, they switched formation. Actually, became a little slower. But um, you know, certain teams get a break. I mean, the Galaxy look like they're not going to be very good, but people will still consider them watchable no matter what they put on the field um, because they're the Galaxy. They just get a essentially. They they probably have like two or three years they could do that before that perception would change. Um, and the opposite is sort of holding true with United when it comes to TV and national perception, where people think they're still getting the 2015 version of this team. So it'll take a while. Um, fortunately for us, it means, you know, we're kind of in on the ground floor. Um, it's sort of like, you know, getting to see a band that's really awesome before they become big. Um, and we'll have plenty to argue about on the internet. I'm sure, uh, with people who are like, no, DC still plays long ball defensive soccer. Um, <laughs> we'll be able to say actually, no, which is great. It's like the, the best thing on the internet is to tell someone they're actually wrong. XKCD captured this so well um, with their someone is wrong on the internet cartoon. Uh, Another narrative around DC United that refuses to go away despite mountains of evidence to the contrary is that Ben Olsen hates young players. Uh, Despite that narrative, DC United is building one of the best young midfields, uh, midfield cores in all of major league soccer with the 22 year old Luciano Acosta uh, kind of having the keys to the car. And then uh, Chris Durkin signed to be a number six for the future potentially. And now Ian Harks reportedly all but signed agreeing in principle to a homegrown deal. According to the Washington post's Steve Goff, he, we, we talked about him last week. He uh, won the MAC Herman award for college soccer's best player in 2016. And it sounds like he's going to be wearing black and red come uh, opening day, whether he'll be a starter in what is looking like a packed midfield with, I, I mentioned Acosta and Durkin, but there there's also Julian Buescher who himself is a generation Adidas player, young guy. Uh, Marcelo Sarvas, of course, Nick DeLeon might be vying for time. Jared Jeffrey was just re-signed um, today. It was announced officially mm-hmm. that, that he was resigned. So there's a lot of bodies in that midfield and it sounds like one of them is going to be Ian Harks. This is a good thing. Uh, this is huge. Um, Harks would have been at worst the third pick in this draft. Um, I feel like maybe that's even uh, being generous or not generous, um, a little too loose with that. I think he would have gone extremely early, you know, one or two. Um, I think he's ready to step in and, and be a contender to start on the opening day. Um, he's 
his soccer IQ is through the roof uh, for a player of that age. Um, technically, he's really gifted. He understands his role um, as the glue of the midfield. He's not going to be a playmaker. He's not going to be a six, I don't think. There's some talk about whether he might uh, might grow into uh, being a six, but I don't I don't see that. Um, I see him yeah, as an especially eight. with United having Marcelo playing that role now and Durkin probably right. picking that role up in the future. And United has Carson. cover there too. Um, mm-hmm. With with Vincent and Jeffrey, there's there's cover at that spot. Um, I think Harks also just in a vacuum is a more natural number eight. Mm-hmm. Um, someone he was the that offensive can, player of the NCAA tournament. He he right. he's box to box. He right. He, um, and uh, I, I think that was exemplified by the goal that got Wake Forest into the semifinal, where he literally went box to box to score, <laughs> just carried the um, ball the whole way, just trying to just trying to hammer away at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, he, the, the main thing that catches the eye with him is his ability to add fluency to, to passing in the midfield. Um, everyone in the midfield know that plays, if you're building around Ian Harks, you know that you can lay the ball off to him and he's going to keep it moving in a, in a positive direction. It's not just going to go to him and, and go backwards. It's not going to be a turnover. It's going to keep the play moving at the right clip. Um, so there's a, a certain amount of tempo setting that he does. Um, that'll help. I think he'll be, I think he should have a good connection with Acosta pretty quickly. Um, I think they'll be on a similar wavelength. Um, he also has pretty good balance. Um, it's hard, he's hard to knock off the ball. Um, he's not a physically overpowering player. He's not, uh, you know, this big ox that gets out there and just can't be, uh, contained, but he's hard. He, he's, he's smart about positioning himself. So he's not, it, you, it's hard to win the ball off him because he just makes it difficult to even get to that point. Um, so he takes a lot of fouls, but he's not taking hard fouls. He's just taking little fouls that, you know, yes, they break up play, but you're still maintaining possession. So, um, all in all, there's, there's a ton to like about his game. And I think, um, it's a, it's a statement signing for United because Harks has that English passport. Um, he was born while, um, while John Harks was playing in England. Um, so he was, he was born in Derby, if I'm not mistaken. I think Um, that's right. So he has the English passport. He could easily go play in England without having to wor- worry about a work permit, which is kind of a a dream scenario for any college player coming out that has the ability to step into MLS. If if they had that passport as well, you have a real competition on your hands to sign that player. Um, the delay in in him signing is most likely down to him actively pursuing uh, things in 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 England, if not elsewhere in Europe. Um, and United really had to – it's not just a situation where you offer a kid a homegrown contract and they say it's not enough and, and they opt not to sign, um, which is an embarrassment for your club. This is more of a Seattle with Jordan Morris deal where everyone mm-hmm. knew Morris had a, a legitimate European suitor. In this case, it was a Werder Bremen in Germany. Um, and Seattle had to put in a bid or put in an offer that was – better than or or at least good enough that all the whole package the cultural package everything was appealing enough that he decided to stay rather than go um now in this case harks did not have jürgen klinsman urging him to run as fast as he can to that european contract um but he did have the option of going without problems um Mm -hmm. you know it would be as if he were born and raised in england um so if United really did land uh, Harks as it, as all signs point are pointing to, um, they didn't just 
land a prized homegrown player. They also lined, uh, landed a player that improves their midfield today. Um, mm-hmm. He's not a project. He's not one we have to wait on. Um, he's someone that I would be kind of surprised if he wasn't the starter in that eight, that number eight role for most of the year because I think he's more mobile um, and more technically gifted in, in the short passing game than Vincent. Um, I think he has more going forward than Jared Jeffrey. Um, I think we will see occasions where maybe Jeffrey gets chosen on the road from time to time because of his ball winning ability. Um, but, uh, I think he also beats out, um, Boucher in that role because he's a little more, he has a little higher defensive aptitude. Um, right. Though Boucher did improve on that aspect over the course of the year, but it was obvious that that was part of his learning curve. Right. Um, and and, you know, it's not a criticism of him that he can't, you know, it's his second best role. Um, but I think out of those three players, uh, competing with Harks, I think Harks has an edge over all of them that they can't really make up. So if he comes in and plays up to his ability, he should be first choice, which means United will be starting a central midfield. Yes. You know, Marcelo is 35, but the other two players in that, that spot will be 22. Um, and Marcelo's presumptive successor is, uh, turning 17 in like a week, um, so, yeah, to go back to the original point about young players in D.C. United, the times are changing. You know, we're also looking at a team that's going to have a 24-year-old up front. Um, they've locked down a couple different – or no, two two defend, two starting defenders and Bill Hamid are all 26. Mm-hmm. Birnbaum, Kemp, Hamid are all 26-year-olds. Um, we'll get to the draft, but they drafted Sean Franklin's successor. He's only 21. Um, so the team is getting young in a hurry and, and without sacrificing quality. Yeah, this is not a team that that went into a re well, I guess in 2014 obviously they they had a rebuilding year, but but since then they managed to completely change their style without uh missing a beat, really. Um in fact got got better as a result and it seems they're they're doubling down on that particular style, the the more attacking 4141, which mm-hmm. is exactly what um I think fans want to see because it it did prove to be more effective. Um, even if it, it didn't quite work in the one playoff game, uh, we saw last year, but, but neutrals are going to be happy too, because, uh, it is a aesthetically more pleasing and more exciting to watch and, you know, maybe come 2018 and the new stadium, um, knock wood on that front. Um, we'll see a lot more national TV games for, for better or worse. Um, as far as scheduling convenience. 2018 is going to be a right. weird year for the schedule, no matter what happens. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was discussing this with some friends over the weekend, and they were, they're were they a little less they, – they follow the team, but they're not necessarily reading every single thing they can find on it. Um, and they were wondering, like, so if the stadium doesn't get built, like, uh, to open the year, like, how many road games could they play in a row before they would have to do something? I was like, well – there's nothing stopping them from playing all 17 road games in a row. Right. It's theoretically allowed. There's no rule in place. Um, but the maximum anyone's ever done is 10. Right. And that um, was considered. Yeah, really... that was considered extreme. Yeah. Um, so who knows? 2018 is going to be a, a fun year, but also a completely unique year. It will be the only year like it in team history ever. Yeah. Um, and Atlanta United is having a similar situation this year they're they're at their big mercedes-benz spaceship doesn't open until july and so they're going to play i think eight games at bobby dodd stadium on the campus Mm -hmm. of georgia tech in atlanta which is more than 
I feel like we were led to believe would be played. At, yes, at, at first GT. it was like, yeah, just, you know, a couple couple games here and there, and yeah, then it so became... If, yeah, eight, so if United can't open, <laughs> can't open Buzzard Point until July, um, if it's a similar uh, timing situation, I would expect fewer games to be played at whatever temporary venue they have. They right. keep saying it won't be RFK, and at this point I'm taking them at their word uh, that they but will that not does play come with, RFK. But yeah. that means they'll be playing at Bird Stadium... Uh, at UMD or shudder to think FedEx field out right. in Landover. So uh, hopefully it would just be a couple of games at whatever temporary venue and then 15 games but, at the new building. But to be clear at this point, the team has still said all of that there, they intend to play the entire 2018 season at the new stadium. Right. Um, so Which, until we hear otherwise, um, that is their expectation. Uh, I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but I also am not in the stadium construction industry, so I can't say for sure if that's feasible or not. Well, if you just showed up with a shovel and a pickaxe right now, <laughs> what effect do you think that would have on the timing? Because I know you've threatened to do that several times over the years. Uh, I think it would speed things up by a grand total of two days if I worked all of the days that the stadium <laughs> is under construction. It would speed things up by two days. Uh, I mean, that might be a big eight- two days. In, in that there would be, like, I guess it would be free labor. I would have to convince them to start paying me, which might be a, a whole thing. Um, and they would have to learn to be like, we need to teach you how to do some of this stuff rather than just pickaxing uh, the ground um, right, or I shoveling. Two, I have two thoughts for funding here. Um, okay. Going back to the HGTV idea from the first from, from our, our cold open. The other is an Indiegogo campaign to, to <laughs> pay Jason to build the stadium, which I think could be successful on Indiegogo. I've seen weirder things. That's true. Um, maybe people should not contribute to that um, <laughs> or, or set that up. Don't actually do anything. Just laugh about the idea. Um, because if you do set it up, I then kind of have to follow through on it. And I don't think it would be helpful at all. It might end up with me going to jail over multiple trespassing charges. That, that seems I don't know how many times likely. you can. I don't know how many times you can get caught for trespassing it before someone throws you in jail, but it's probably like four. Um, that also increases the cost dramatically, um, especially as if those it's like mount up Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday, and they found you trespassing again in the same place. At some point, um, you're going to get a, a restraining order on you, and then violating that means you go to jail for for real. Right, um, and then then this would be an Indiegogo to fund Jason getting out of jail and paying his legal fees, which is not what you which is not what you tried to buy in for in the first place. And that's how we ended. That doesn't up give with you a stadium. The, that's how we ended up with the hashtag Free Jason Tifo at Buzzard Point. <laughs> um, the the last thing I want to talk about before we take a quick break is the the preseason schedule, which came out this week. There will be two real phases to preseason again this year uh both of them in the tampa bay region of florida uh they'll head down there um in very early or in late january uh stay through early february come back here meet all the season ticket holders at pinstripes for a big thing they i I think i read they're expecting 1300 people to come out this time which is way more than i think the 400 they had the first time 
Was that they, how they many there were? Um, the, the way Pinstripes is laid out, it's hard to tell how many people are there. Yes. Um, it's hard to see much beyond the room you're in, and well, there are many rooms, and yeah, it's hard to say... I think there were probably... Last year was pretty crowded, so last year I think there were probably at least, you know, maybe 900. But think about know. adding another... <laughs> And that, that it was could be nine hundred. It could have been four, and I would have been just as yeah, just as certain. Like, I don't know. Yeah, the a sec- lot. That was the second or third year they've done it. The first time right. it was there were there were nowhere near as many people there. There were still a lot of people, but nowhere near mm-hmm. as many as there were last time. And they're they're expecting well, and, quite a and lot last more time, this time. Last year they also were selling brand new home jerseys for the first time. Right. Um. And home jerseys will always sell better than your road kit. So, um, I think the opportunity to meet the players and all that it helps but also this is your first opportunity to purchase a jersey probably i mean i stood in that line Mm -hmm. uh to purchase a jersey with uh most of the rest of black and red united staff yes um and it was a long line it did not go quickly because of the sheer volume of people it's Mm -hmm. not that they were stalling up front it was that there were hundreds of people trying to buy shirts yeah it was also um the first jersey with the new the new logo on it so there was a lot of new merch that that people mm-hmm. didn't have yet um but of course the preseason leads up to the home opener on march 4th uh at rfk stadium against sporting kansas city and we're looking forward to the rest of our coverage i guess we are now in preseason mode here on filibuster so um we will have updates on preseason and ha- hopefully have some cool guests to talk to over the rest of this this preseason before we you know, bring in somebody to talk about sporting Kansas city and the actual season gets underway. Um, we will talk about the super draft in just a second. So stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment. Would you, you can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you, I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's super draft, super time, super fun, super spectacular, super. Uh, DC United has three new players, two of which are under contract coming into camp. Uh, we're going to talk about them and and also kind of zoom out a little bit to talk about the draft more broadly. But as always with 
filibuster. We are starting with DC United and their first draft pick this year, number 12 overall, uh, right back out of the University of Maryland, which I'm sure made Jason very happy, apart from the fact that this was probably a pretty good pick. Um, Chris Odoi Achim uh, is going to be playing for DC United. Jason, you said last segment that that he represents uh, Sean Franklin's successor at right back. Tell us about his game. Uh, extremely athletic. Um, more of a, I, I wouldn't call him a stay-at-home defender. He's more of a a modern fullback who is more defensively oriented. Um, he still does come forward. He still does join the attack, um, but he's not making big, he's not taking big risks and he's not firing forward to overlap and, and hit crosses. He's more there to um, add one more passing option to the attack and make sure things don't break down because one side doesn't have that fullback coming forward. Which is um, very Sean Franklin-esque. I'm right. not going to lie. Um, Franklin is more of a support fullback rather than an attacking fullback, if if that's a distinction that makes sense. Yeah, um, that's that's a good way to look at it. Um, as far as his one, one-on-one defending, he's excellent. Um, I think Sasha Sarovsky during the draft show said that he was the best one-on-one defender he's had at Maryland, which is saying something. Um, he has played center back before. Uh, he has even played a little left back, but... Um, the center back thing was there was a year where Maryland ended up with uh, kind of an odd um, squad. Uh, I didn't mean to make a rhyme, but I did. Um, they ended up going also to a PBS Cup. show, by the way. PBS Kids show, Odd Squad. Yep, you odd just squad? referenced it. I had, Good work. Well, referencing children's shows I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> the Jason you know, Anderson story. Um, at 5'10, I don't think we're ever going to see him play much center back except for some sort of emergency. Um, but as a right back, I think he's easily capable of stepping in, uh, to play MLS minutes right away. Um, I think the luxury there for United is now that, um, Franklin is still probably first choice, but United doesn't need him to play 30 plus games this year. Um, because we've seen how that ends. He, he gets worn down. Um, and that's not going to improve. That's something that doesn't get better with time. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of fans that were really excited seeing Nick DeLeon play there last year. Um, I think the issue with DeLeon playing right back opposite Kemp is that you end up with too many people taking risks going forward. It was really fun to watch, but it also left United wide open a lot of times. Well, um, I think this also might push DeLeon. I think we'll we'll probably see Nicky play some left fullback in preseason. I, I'm not so sure about that. I've no? seen that idea out there. Um I think the f- transition from him from midfield to right back is a lot more simple than the transition for him to left back um, because he's not predominantly left footed. Um, right. I know he's played a lot of left midfield, but that's something where he's cutting inside. Right. That's um, true. Um, so I, I, I will say we'll probably see it as an experiment uh, because United currently doesn't have any depth there. Right. That's um, the other reason for this is because yeah. in, in less than until they make a, an acquisition – that's their right. only option. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, uh, Odui Achim actually is uh, also probably on the depth chart at left back just because there's no one else on the depth chart. Um, Chris Corb, you know, we're, we're told is supposed to come back for the preseason and contend for a spot. That hasn't been – that was a end-of-the-season development. That wasn't – that hasn't been reconfirmed or anything. Um, so that's a subject to change sort of uh, note. 
Um, if he were to come back and win a contract, then that would sort of settle that situation. But right now, um, left back will be interesting behind Kemp. But um, Oduya Atchum, he's a uh, he's he reminds me a little bit of Keegan Rosenberry, um, who did extremely well for the Philadelphia Union. I'm not sure he's quite as gifted going forward as Rosenberry, but I think he's every bit as good one on one, which is a major compliment because Rosenberry is a lockdown right back. Right. Um, and he has it in him to actually push Franklin out of the starting lineup before the year is out. Um, I don't know if I would expect it in the preseason. I know there are, there's a segment of the fan base that just has no interest in seeing Franklin play anymore, uh, for DC United, or at least not as a starter. Um, I don't think we're at that point, but if we are at that point, this is a pretty good card to have, uh, up your sleeve. Um, He's extremely well-rounded, uh, very competitive. He's he's from uh, Mitchellville, so he's not he's not from uh, not just he didn't just go to school at Maryland. He also is from the area. Um, so he shouted out PG County in the yes, uh, in his speech, uh, which, which was great, uh, which was pretty awesome. Um, it was it was even better to hear Russ Thaler. Um, Chris yes. said he he said full the full name Prince George's County, and and Russ Thaler's like wow PG County love yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, so I love Russ Thaler. I do. Yeah, uh, Russ uh, with his his deep roots around here, um, and, and it's been cool seeing him on a lot of MLS Soccer's coverage. Um, sadly, it, since NBC Soccer got or and NBC doesn't have MLS properties anymore, we don't see him through that avenue anymore. But um, that was a pretty cool moment uh, to have Russ Thaler and Sasha Sorovsky. On the mm-hmm. uh, on the dais <laughs> as uh, Chris Adouyachim was being drafted, that's kind of a a peak Maryland moment. Um, but no, uh, I did not expect him to be on the board at number twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, he went before that during our mock draft. He went before that in a lot of other mock drafts. A lot of people had him going to Vancouver, um, who did choose a right back. They chose uh, Jacob Nerwinski. Um, I think Vancouver made a mistake there. Um, Nerwinski is a tremendous athlete. I just don't see. I see an athlete who is happens to play soccer rather than a soccer player who happens to be athletic. Um, and MLS has gotten to the point where you can't get away with that anymore. Um, Vancouver's done that before um, with dra- you know drafting players that they were the they were the folks that ended up taking Christian Dean, um, who mm-hmm. was the athlete who happened to play soccer, who was Steve Birnbaum's center back partner. Um, now Dean has Dean hasn't really done anything in MLS, but it's mostly because his his feet keep getting broken. Um, but in any case, I don't think I, I feel like this is a similar situation where United ended up with the better player that plays the same spot because Vancouver overvalued one athleticism over soccer IQ. Um, and it's also like Odui Atchum's not far behind. Uh, Nerwinski right. was like the top athlete at the combine at any position, and Odui Atchum was like top five. So it's mm-hmm. very close. Um, but he happens to be the better soccer player, which is really important if you're going to become a front foot team. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it was also kind of interesting to see that with Nurinsky off the board and then Odui Atchum went off the board, RSL and Casey took the other right backs that anyone was talking about immediately. Um, yeah, it was a big run on fullbacks yeah, and there weren't um, a lot of left backs in this draft at all. No. Um, you know, the top, the top left back went in the second round and there was a lot of talk that he might not that was Liam Callahan from Syracuse. Um, and there were plenty of mock drafts that didn't have him going in the first two rounds at all. Um, mm-hmm. The left back pool was not deep. Um, so teams, I, I guess, saw 
the right backs coming off the board and they thought it was, you know, we got to get one. Uh, we got to get one of these guys. So um, it's good for United to get what I, th- I, at least in my opinion, is the best right back that was available. Um, it sets them, it, it's one of those great situations where they probably took the best player available at number 12 and they also addressed a need. Um, which is really what you want to do in the draft if you possibly can. Yeah, we kind of talked about that last week where United tends to pick the best available player and mm. they will trade to the spot in the, the draft where you know the best available player will fit a need of theirs. Cause, and, well, and if they don't need it, then they'll trade it. And they nearly traded this pick. They called a timeout. Yes. Um, because the Red Bulls actually had an... From the Red Bulls, yeah. And they, they made that offer at the last moment. And United, I guess, according to, I think it was Paul Tenorio talked to Dave Casper about mm-hmm. it, and the the word from Casper was that they thought about it. Um, the they, There was some sort of negotiation, even, and the deal just couldn't come together, and they decided, um, you know, you're out of time at that point anyway, so you have to do yeah. something. Um, and they decided, you know, the thing to do is just take the player and, and be happy with it. Right, um, especially since the Red Bulls were going to take the same player. Right, you know that, that was the whole thing is that they were trying to trade into position to grab a right back because the Red Bulls need a right back uh, most likely. They uh, they lost, they lost Chris Duvall, draft. Um, yeah. so um, and then you know the fact that that was followed by uh, Reagan Dunk and Colton Storm, whose names are amazing, as Travis Clark pointed out uh, during our last episode. Um, they both immediately went, and the Red Bulls ended up taking a winger instead. Um, so they lost their chance to address. Uh, they lost their chance to address a need and a best player, um, mm-hmm. whereas United kept theirs. So it's probably a good piece of business, not knowing what the offer was. Um, though that kind of goes with something we'll get into about learning what yeah. trades actually are. Yeah, um, United got the best right back in our estimation in the draft. They also got possibly the best goalkeeper in the draft by by some people's reckoning in Eric Klinovsky, a goalkeeper out of Monmouth University. He um, he's a tall guy. There's a fantastic picture of Ben Olsen standing on a soccer ball next <laughs> yes, to him and still being like a head shorter. <laughs> yeah, and still he's being, like six, six, I think. Yeah, he's he's um, a large he's basketball dude. tall. <laughs> he he comes onto the roster as initially the uh, the fourth uh, goalkeeper on the depth chart. But with Bill Hamid out, he will be. At, at worst, number three in mm-hmm. preseason. Um, he did sign a contract before the draft. Yes. So we double checked this... that because there was some question out there as to whether that was true or not. But yeah, we have uh, independently te- confirmed that team, with yes. the team. The team said that he did sign that contract. So so um, he is in unless they actively, you know, take steps to waive him. Right. He is on the roster for he's for on the roster today. Right now yeah. he's on the roster. Um, yeah, he's not just so... a guy who has a trial. Right. Um, that's the way uh, which to look is at it in that situation. The next guy we're going to talk about is a guy who has who DC United has exclusive trial rights to right. in MLS, um, but but are under no obligation to you know provide him with anything other than a trial. Right. Um, so Klinovsky will will come on. Like I said, that makes four goalkeepers. Maybe United carries four goalkeepers for a while because of their experience last year, where they had to scramble to find goalkeepers mm-hmm. once Hamid and Dykstra both got hurt. Um, maybe this says something about Charlie Horton, who's currently number three, a very young guy who has played with the youth national teams, spent some time in Richmond, um, came over from Leeds United, uh, last year. Maybe it says something about him. We don't know at this point that there's a lot you could read into this and no reason to. So I want to be careful about 
speculating any more than I than I have. Right. Um, it, it's kind of a wait and see if you're on the outside looking in like we are. Um, what this means, if everybody's healthy, Hamid comes back, he's the presumptive starter, you know, probably written in ink when he's healthy. He th- there's nobody who's going to displace him. Um, then you you figure war is next. And then Horton and Klinovsky would battle for who's going to Richmond and who is, you know, either sitting out or going on a real long term loan to some unaffiliated right. club. Right. Um, and Klinovsky is, uh, I think I've only, I thought I've only seen Monmouth play, I think once or twice with him, um, in a tournament game. Um, he's well known for, despite his size, he's not, you know, some goalkeepers when they're taller tend to be positional goalkeepers rather than guys with sharp reflexes. Um, we tend to think of the Ramondo or Robles height goalkeeper being the guy with the amazing reflexes. And then someone like Klonowski is more of like a Pat Onstad. Mm-hmm. Um, Klonowski has that kind of quickness to be the quick reflex guy, um, which at 6'6 is pretty impressive. Um, our, the, the folks at Once a Metro actually wrote about him quite a bit um, because of uh, his roots in New Jersey. Um, he was invited for a trial with Everton uh, while still in college, or after the college season. Um, he's also... Um, I don't know if he actually has his Antigua and Barbuda citizenship, but he was invited to their national team camp um, after uh, it came out that I guess his grandparents on one side are from Portugal, but originally moved from Portugal to uh, Barbuda and then became citizens there. And then he has roots that he has citizenship possibly through them i had missed um, all this this is even more yes. random than josh saunders playing for the puerto rican national team because yeah because saunders played for the puerto rico islanders for like a year and i guess because it's the u.s the process of getting qualifying for eligibility there is basically saying like i'm gonna live in puerto rico for a while um right yeah um his roots allowed that he did not play for them but they did call him in and he said um you know, it's something that he would consider in the future, I guess. Um, but uh, a good uh, a good pick um, at that point in the draft. I'm, a lot of people have him going in the first round. Yeah. Um, there was talk of him going even in the middle of the first round, not even towards the end. Um, I think so a lot of those were people projecting based on club needs. Team yes. needs a goalkeeper. Um, yes. Well, that happens on every mock draft. Yeah, and and most goalkeepers don't go in the the first round. Andre Blake is is the rare exception. um, Uh, Because MLS teams know that, I mean, United has had several goalkeepers over the years that weren't drafted. Travis Warrow was not drafted. Yeah. Um, They just, they knew about him. They did the the homework. They knew he was out there, um, and they picked him up. Um, Actually, he had a, if I'm not mistaken, Warrow went to the University of New Hampshire, who also (laughs) had... um, Chris Wingate was taken by NYCFC in the third round. So all of a sudden, University of New Hampshire is getting uh, um, scouted a little more often. Um, maybe maybe a, teams a are confused by the league sponsorship with uh, Southern New Hampshire University. Maybe. Maybe they're just ending up there and, and on accident. But uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, um, that's a school that's starting to get players coming in through the coming in the league all of a sudden. It's not, usually you see a school where they've got their first ever draft pick and then you never hear from them again. Uh, it's kind of one-off, but right. Klonowski, um, I think 
he's going to be good enough to at least challenge Horton for that. If if United says we're only going to have three goalkeepers, it's going to be a real challenge for them to sort out who that third goalkeeper is because Klonowski and Horton are both very capable goalkeepers. Um, I think this was more of a um, looking for the potential because Klonowski, for his size and his quickness, there's still some positional rawness and decision-making stuff that, that will have to be refined. Um, I think I read, I, it might've been actually from Travis Clark's, uh, top store soccer, um, somewhere in there. I think that, um, one of the goalkeepers I went before him, uh, Alec Farrell, um, who went to Minnesota with the 23rd pick, um, Farrell is the more positionally well-rounded, um, more refined goalkeeper and Klonowski is the more raw talent goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that. We'll, we'll, I'm, we're definitely going to get a look at him in the preseason because, not just because all goalkeepers get to play in the preseason, but because with Hamid unable to play, you know it's going to be giving him not just like a half one time. Um, like the who was the they had that German guy that showed up uh, late yes. late in the preseason. Now his name escapes me because there were like yeah. nine goalkeepers to keep track of. Yeah, um, there were a lot. Well, go, who actually, go, Google that guy could actually play. Um, yeah. He looked pretty solid, but he was an international and you know, didn't have the spaces for him. Right. Um, Klonowski is going to appear in the preseason more often than that guy did. Um, so we'll get we'll get to a, a good look at him. United will get a good look at him, and um, you know it's not a bad situation to be in if you find your, if you have to you end up having to say one of these guys has to be traded away. That's still a good situation overall um, because there's definitely going to be some team. I mean, Chicago only has. Um, they have a 35-year-old, an unremarkable 35-year-old they signed from Uruguay, and Matt Lampson, who probably shouldn't be starting. Um, they're in the, they should be in the market. If they're not in the market for a goalkeeper, something's wrong. Um, right. There are a few other teams like that as well. So um, if that's what it comes down to uh, for United, then they at least have a strong competition for that rather than saying, like, well, we're just keeping this third guy because um, it, it, right. it's nice to have so much depth that you actually don't know what to do with it. United did have another second round pick at the super draft. Uh, they took center back Joe Vettel Riemstad, uh, Norwegian, uh, center back out of Radford. Um, at the very least, the first Radford draft pick by DC United. Uh, if not the first Radford draft pick in MLS history. Yes, that's Um, correct. I don't know much about his game. I know he's Norwegian and he has an awesome metal name. Uh, beyond beyond that, Jason, what should we know about him? He he doesn't have a contract. He will right. be on trial during preseason. Um, center back is a position position DC United's trying to be- address over the last couple drafts, um, not always successfully. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Radford play. I know they've made the tournament. Uh, I think they made the tournament two of the four years he was there. Um, so I haven't seen uh, Rimstad play at all, um, so it's hard to judge. Uh, I didn't see his name on any mock draft boards. Um, it's kind of a left field pick, but I feel like United's drafting over the years has earned them uh, more than a little leeway. When they make a left field pick, you have to say, like, well, they must know something that everyone else doesn't um, because they've actually shown that they tend to know something that everyone else doesn't. Um, when it comes to draft day, it's United, Sporting Kansas City, um, and everyone else is sort of, you know, second tier or worse um, as far as knowing the college game, knowing who's Pareja, out there. Pareja does pretty well. He 
It, it, well, at least when he's scouting his backyard, he he tends yeah, to um, unearth well, some good. I mean, their draft this year just ended up being like people just kept falling to them. Um, yeah, Ja'Cory Hayes was, um, from from Wake should have probably been a top ten or even like maybe even top five pick in my in my opinion. I think he's a tremendously talented player, and he somehow fell to eighteenth. Uh, which is a bizarre one to say the least. Um, and I think that continued, you know, the, Dallas ended up with um, Adonijah Reed, the Generation Adidas player from Canada, um, who was kind of a mystery because he was signed at the last second. And he's, his last playing experience that anyone really got to see was in League One Ontario. Yeah. Um, because he's a 17 year old who. When, right. when you have a roster like Dallas's that's yes, it's, it's just coming off the double. Let's not forget, like they didn't right. win MLS Cup, but they won the double um, with the the Supporter Shield and U.S. Open Cup, which is probably you know it, it, it's a hard thing to do. Yes, um, they have a roster that just did that despite losing one of their two best players, and they would have been a threat for MLS Cup and winning the first ever treble had they not lost you know one of the best number tens in the league. And so why not take a flyer on a guy you don't know anything about when you have Oscar Pereja who could turn a fat 14-year-old into an MLS player? Yeah, I mean, he's also a free player. Um, Exactly, that's what I mean. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they they landed him after having already picked uh, Walker Hume, who some people had as one of the best two or three center backs. They picked him late um, in the second round, but before they took Reed. Um, so sometimes, you know, in Dallas's case, sometimes you just walk into the obvious choice. Um, but, uh, to go back to, to Rimset, we're kind of going on one of the tangents that we, we talked uh, off, uh, off the air <laughs> about tangents and it happened. Um, usually does, but, uh, I, I, and I told you the, the guys on the staff, this, um, I think Rimstad is a lot like, uh, Liam Doyle. Um, from Ohio State, who United took last year. He ended up lasting the entire preseason, only be one of the final cuts, partially because he was an international player at the time. Um, he ended up uh, playing pretty well in USL, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, got his green card soon thereafter, so it was a timing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no I have no idea what Rimstad's um, ability to get a green card is. He's an international today. Um, we know that much. Um but United is looking for a successor to Bobby Boswell, um, and they're going to probably keep looking until they find one. And on draft day, if that if if that means um, listing a bunch of center backs and taking who's left when it's your time, then that's what you do. Um, and given that they opted to pass with their final pick in the fourth round, they didn't opt to trade up for a third round pick. This was probably their chance where they say, well, who else do we want? Who Who else is worth us taking at all? Um, we might as well just take him now while we still have the chance. Um, and that's what they did. Um, so we'll, we'll get a good look at him. Um, Doyle was, I think a fourth round pick last year, um, and wasn't talked about coming into the draft very much, but ended up being a guy. If he had been an American, I feel like he might've made the team, um, coming in. Um, so we'll see. I mean, like I said, United has earned the right to make a pick where it's like, I don't know who that is. Um, and for you to, you know, for fans to sit back and say, like, well, let's, you know, let's give him an op- a chance because they keep finding players in the college ranks that are close to or actually able to play um, a part. And, you know, it would be nice if they had the uh, USLB team for a lot of these guys to end up on. Um, 
that would probably we'd probably be seeing a, if they had that in place already. We'd probably be looking at a Liam Doyle uh, and Rimstad uh, center back pairing coming <laughs> into the season for that group. Um, but that's that's one for the future once they don't have to pay millions of dollars in rent at RFK. Right. You mentioned that DC United did not use their their fourth round pick. In fact, the entire third and fourth rounds of the super draft um, are not conducted when you think the super draft happens. They happen no. a few days later via conference call. Can, can and I, can I talk about that for a second? Let me just say how long it took. Okay. Both okay. Rounds. They, they were basically longer than this or, or shorter than, than this, uh, this talking point. They took 13 minutes for the entire third and yes. fourth rounds to happen. Um, so, so Jason, I'll let you talk as as long as you want on this. But, but just, my question is: Do we need these rounds anymore? Probably not. Um, Basically, yeah. the end of the the end of the second round now is where the end of the fourth round was. What? Yes, ten years ago. And yeah, it wasn't long ago that not that even ten years. The fortieth overall pick was uh, the last pick, right? And now we go to pick now number gonna, eighty-eight. Yeah. So um, I, the I number mean, of players were just. I mean, the the player pool has improved, but there are only so many roster spots. And so basically everyone selected in the third and fourth round, or almost everyone selected in the third and fourth round, ends up in USL. And Yeah, for the teams that have – I will say that for the teams that have their USL team in place, this probably has some use because they get the player in camp and they can start selling that player on the culture of their club and then say like – you're not ready for the MLS ranks, but you're still within our club when you sign for Swope Park Rangers or um, what is the Rail SLC Monarchs, the <laughs> mouthful that RSL couldn't get out of their own way on that one. Yeah. Um, or Sounders I, 2 or whatever. I want to um, see, see some numbers, though, on the guys who end up in MLS. Are there more fourth rounders who end up in MLS well, for their rookie year can, or more undrafted free agents who end up in it's, MLS? It's for their undrafted. Rookie year? Um, yeah, you- I looked at this while writing up our preview for the the second half of the draft, which was already it's already strange enough, which I'll I'll eventually get to. Um, but the only player taken in the fourth round of the 2016 draft that actually stuck with his team uh, was Cole Misimo with the Philadelphia Union, and he was waived promptly waived at the end of the 2016 season, um, and he spent the entire year on loan with Bethlehem steel. Um, and that was the entire hall of fourth round draft picks for the entire league playing, making, getting those MLS deals. That was the only one. Um, it's puzzling to me that, I mean, on one hand, MLS has to not do 88 picks in one day. Um, the people that are in attendance would probably revolt the moment they started the third round because, Draft day is is extremely fun, but when it's over, like when that fortieth pick comes through, you're like, okay, let's get out of here. It's yeah. I've had my fun, and now I want to go somewhere else. Um, and, and Adam and I were both at the 2016 draft in Baltimore, and it was super fun, and it's an easy trip for us. Uh, it's not, you know, we didn't have to fly in the night before. Yeah. Um, we weren't having to deal with hotel living. We were, you know, 
But when it's if, over, you need a drink. Yes. Yeah. At the <laughs> end of at the end of that draft, the first thing we want to do is like, let's get out of here. And there's a bar across the street from the Baltimore Convention Center. Like, let's go have beers. Yeah. Um, and that's also and you fun don't, because you run into. And if someone came out like and was like, Harks. actually, yeah, like John Harks at the bar. Uh, uh, as people the, who aren't the even star really of the building. involved in covering the draft or making decisions, they get yes. out of there and they need a drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. People are hustling across that street. Um, and I imagine the same thing happened in L.A., um, which uh, would have been a nice trip at this time of year. But, you know, I didn't I personally can't just pick up and fly to L.A. on a whim to go hang out on draft day. Um, but the, the the issue they run into is that by not having it attached to the real the real quote unquote draft is that it immediately seems like a lesser like a less important thing and it is but you don't want it to seem like that you don't want to be so obvious about how unimportant it is um and i do think you bring up a good point is that why is this even happening because these teams could just start inviting competing for inviting these guys out for trial yeah Um, that's better i mean i would say that's better for the players involved but when mls doesn't typically care about what's best for the players involved as a league um But if they're undrafted, that's what happens. Um, yeah. If you're an true. undrafted you're player, you know, undrafted than, right. than being drafted in the fourth round. Like, let's let me use a local example. Um, Bacon Goodman, a midfielder from Georgetown, uh, holding midfielder. Um, pretty good player. Didn't go in the first two rounds. Got picked by Seattle 56th. Um, that's a pretty good landing spot for him because they've got Sounders 2 in place. But let's say he was drafted by Dallas. Dallas picked a couple ahead of a couple before and a couple behind um, when Seattle took Goodman. Um, Dallas does not have a USL team set up. Uh, They send their players to Oklahoma City Energy, who are an independent USL team, who are invested in trying to win games for themselves. Um, That's not a great spot. Uh, Actually, it's good that I brought up Dallas. Um, Dakota Barnathan, who Travis Clark mentioned when he came on, um, he went to VCU. He ended up getting taken by Dallas. Um, Now, is Dallas incentivized to really push Oklahoma to sign him to a deal? Um, is Oklahoma really motivated to check out Dallas's other draft picks to see guys that they might be able to sign? Um, and also, you're no, they're no longer in-house for you. Um, Oklahoma City is not close to Dallas. It's not uh, easy. Dallas can't just go drive down the road a little bit to go see their USL affiliate. It's a whole thing. Right. Richmond um, seems far from DC to a lot yes. of people in, in DC, but it's a lot closer than Oklahoma yes. city. The, when you get off the East coast, you get to see dis- actual distances. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like in a lot of cases, a lot of these players would have been better off. I mean, it might feel good to be drafted, uh, to be formally selected by somebody. That's nice. But I think long term, these players would probably be better off if they just had multiple trial invites coming to them and they got to pick. Now, granted, a lot of them would be picking Seattle or Portland, um, especially the ones that have. I mean, for the most part, these college players don't know what the clubhouse is in each MLS city. They aren't following the league so close because they have a, be- a important thing to do, which is go to college and be a, a professional level athlete without pay at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a lot on their plate. So they might not have time to do the homework on which club is the best place to land at. Um, but I still feel like the situation where random players have their rights held in MLS um, to no good end, you know, that there's no point to most of this other right. than the feel good moment of, oh, my, I did get drafted. How about that? Right. Um, so I, it's, a, it's a strange a lot, of guys, a lot of them end up not making it through the first round of 
of preseason, at which point they go on to a second team right? Um, for a trial for a week or two. And so some of them do bounce around during preseason, which is what it would be like if they didn't get drafted. It's just exactly this decides yeah, who who has first dibs on them before they go to the open market. Right. And, and we see that every preseason. There are guys that they go through the first phase of preseason. It doesn't work. But someone they played during that, you know, if. if uh, yeah, like Victor Munoz started right. with D.C. and then was drafted by D.C. Um, did survive halfway through preseason. Yeah, made it halfway through preseason and then latched on with Sporting Kansas City, had a trial with them, and that turned right. into a contract. Right. We you haven't know, if heard much of, from him since, but. No. He didn't last there for very long either. But the point is that you get another chance just by someone else seeing you. Um, right. You know, if United, you know, let's use Rimstad as an example. Not that he's a third rounder or a fourth rounder, but he's kind of in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, United will be down in Florida. All those teams will be close together. All the teams that are going to Florida uh, will be close together. So teams like Orlando and Philadelphia and Montreal, they'll get a look at him and maybe they'll say, hey, um, you know, what's what's the deal with him like well we don't think he's going to quite make it so if you guys are interested in taking him on trial go ahead and, and if he happens to make their roster if, if tfc signs him up instead they'd have to send united some little you know piddly it'll probably be a third or fourth round draft pick yeah. um to acquire his rights but um it seems like a whole lot of trouble for not much of a purpose um and it doesn't seem like the team i mean rsl um passed uh midway through the third round uh, which meant they left, I'm going to say, they left one more pick on the board um, by doing that. United did that last, last year. They year. passed in the fourth round and left two picks uh, on the board. Um, the teams aren't very invested. Montreal also passed in the third round. Um, team interest in this is is dropping, especially for the clubs that don't have a USL roster to fill out. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there needs to be some sort of change, or maybe, maybe turn the third and fourth round into... Um, a USL affiliate tie-in somehow where you're just upfront about what the point of, of taking these players is. Yeah. Um, I'd rather just see them do away with it and just have the super draft be two rounds. And I think that that makes the most sense. It already doesn't, it already feels like it's only a two round event. Yeah. Um, This other event gets forgotten. Uh, And rightfully so. Yeah. And it's, it's harsh on those players, but I think it might, they probably would be better off. Yeah. I think they'd be better off not getting drafted and we'd be better off not spending so much time talking about the third and fourth rounds of the super (laughs) draft, uh, which is no longer called the supplemental draft, which I guess is something. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I'm glad that they have one less name for a thing. MLS needs to streamline some names. So that's good. It's one thing to have off your plate. No longer have to remember what kind of draft this is because there used to be seven and now it's six. We're yeah. getting down to a feasible number of drafts. Draft creep has been a very real problem in MLS's <laughs> history. Um, we had a lot of talking points we wanted to get through, but in the interest of time, I think I'm going to consolidate some of them and, and zoom through this. Uh, there was a lot of movement uh, at the top of the draft. Um, we we had thought, we would talked about with Travis Clark last week that there were really two guys who were running away from the pack. Uh, for the top two draft spots, and they would be the first two guys drafted. It turns out that wasn't so correct. Abu Dunladi did go first overall to Minnesota, um, but uh, Jeremy Abobise ended up dropping to number four. Um, Portland traded up to get his rights, which is probably a really good pickup for them. They need a backup for Fernando Adi, and he is exactly the right guy for that, I would say. Um, 
Atlanta got the defender they needed. Um, his name is escaping me at the moment. Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson. They they needed a center back, and they got a the best one on the board, probably, and a GA guy to boot. So he's a good player who's young and free against the cap, which are young, defender, free, are the three things that they needed from this draft, and Atlanta got it. In him, um, NYCFC and Portland both traded up to get guys in, mm-hmm. in the top four. Uh, I think the most important thing about that development is that MLS is now publishing anytime um, allocation money, general or targeted, is used in in a trade and publishing the amount involved. So essentially, you know, in Europe, when you you hear about a player being bought for however many million euros or pounds or or dollars, if it's an American player, um, now we can know how many, you know how much monopoly money is is changing hands within MLS. So NYCFC sent Chicago $250,000 yes. of, I think, general allocation yes. money for uh, the third overall pick. In comparison, uh, Portland spent, I think, $100,000 and uh, an international and, roster and they swapped spots. So Portland and, gave okay. up their number ten yeah. uh, pick, and uh, yeah, so so Portland bundled three things and a hundred thousand um, to get up right. there. So so it, you can kind of start doing the the differential algebra to to figure out how much these assets are worth, which is kind of fun. Apparently, um, Chicago was fielding a lot of offers, yes, uh, for yes. that third pick, which probably drove up the value and. But but it's still fun to see and, you know, gives us one more thing to talk about. Um, for comparison, Chicago sent uh, the Red Bulls $400,000 of GAM for Dax McCarty, who yes. has been, you know, a top defensive midfielder ever since he left D.C. United. Mm-hmm. Um, they split that over two years, essentially. It's 200000 of allocation money for this year and 200000 for next year, but a grand total of four hundred k. Um so that I think is the the bigger thing. Transparency is good. Um, yes, I think it's, it's, it, this it, should have happened long ago. Yes, um, it's and, good that and they're finally getting just, to it. It's not just good from a competitive standpoint um, and uh, an accountability standpoint, where you can now judge uh, general managers and their decision making on this. It also is a way to drive buzz around the league. Everyone loves talking and yeah. diving into these numbers. Um, sports in America. Uh, at least the conversation on sports in America is driven by nerds and nerds love hard numbers. And this is, this is a great development that, like you said, should have happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, it changes the game. It made, it'll probably help. Um, you know, for a while there was sort of a wall about talking about trades cause it's like, well, it's allocation money. We all know how much it, you know, it's hard to say if it was a good deal or not. Um, you can speculate, you can try and figure, oh, this was probably for this amount or that amount. Yeah. Um, sometimes, but you're still guessing, I mean, who would have guessed that the number involved in the NYCFC in Chicago trade was 250,000. I don't think anyone would have guessed that high of a number. Um, so it does, it opens things up quite a bit. Um, what did we, what did we speculate that DC United got to move down one pick? uh, I think that was actually reported. I think yeah, that got think reported, and I think it was 000, no. I, I think was it was like seventy-five. I think the issue was that 
Um, Vancouver had offered like 60 or something and, and Philly upped it a little, um, right. because United was like, well, we're only moving back a spot. It, it's not that big of a deal. Right. And um, we knew the team also knew that they were still going to get their guy. So it was free right. money as far as Ben Olsen and Dave Casper were concerned. Right. But, um, but, but yeah. even then, like, we don't, we don't totally know. We, we know what's been reported. Yes. Um, and now the league has made, this is a league mandate. It's not just t- an individual team deciding they're going to be more transparent. It's everyone has to be on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, obviously if Jonathan Lewis doesn't turn out to be much of a player, then, uh, NYCFC is going to have some major questions to answer because they just gave up a ton of, uh, allocation money to get him. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, I think all around, every, I think everyone involved is uh, better off this way. Um, I, I really, it, it's MLS's hesitance to change is the only reason this didn't happen before. Um, and it's it's nice to actually be in that era where we get to see, um, we really get to see which GM is actually doing the best job and and fig, or at least figure it out for ourselves. Um, whereas before it, you know, you have a very incomplete picture when you don't know how much money is being traded. Um, you don't really have a, a frame of reference. You just know the team is, is playing well, but you don't know who's building for the future that well. You have to, it's all rumor and hearsay. Yeah, it'll be fun to... I I guess you won't be able to have the um, armchair cap quarterback the way you do in the NBA and NFL, where anyone can know exactly where their team stands against the salary cap. But you can get a lot closer to it with with this being announced. And I think that's a good thing for, for MLS. And I know our readers and our listeners, uh, we, we have some who definitely enjoy digging into those numbers. And, and this is a good thing for them because they're going to get some joy out of, out of doing that. The last thing I want to talk about uh, with the Super Draft is uh, the idea of draft grades. We talk about <laughs> good picks, bad picks. Um, and, and there are some smart people out there who who give grades um be it out of 10 be it on a letter grade scale to these to these draft picks you know right after yes. the draft and and on a team basis and it ends up being very subjective i like these players uh i don't like these players and to some extent you're trying to judge how a team did versus its uh draft picks so a team that goes number 1 is, is going to be graded more harshly than a team that picks 20th, um, well, which it, may or may not be the right way to do it. Right. And it also uh, cuts the other way where if you go number one and take the obvious number one, you get an A. Um, right. When did you actually really do very much or did you just do what everyone told you or everyone thought was a good idea? Right. Which is not what Minnesota did because right. the consensus number one was Ibobise and they went with Dunlady. And, you know, a, a lot of people seem to have come on board with that. Although... I think I think it was probably the right choice, especially because Adrian Heath sees a lot in Dunlady and he's well, Adrian Heath is t- typically full of a uh, bluster. Um, I think yeah. his declaration was that um, if Dunlady fulfills his potential, he'll be the best player in MLS full stop. Yes, there was no what he said. qualification. It was no best player in this draft field or, um, you know, best forward on our team. It was best player. So better than Sebastian Giovinco is what he's right. saying. That's, um, yeah. Which is, but he's obviously a, a true much. believer. <laughs> that um, would be a very special player to get in a draft. Yeah. I, I feel like that player would be the, 
most obvious number one pick in in not just MLS draft history, but in all draft histories. Right. <laughs> any draft, anywhere, any sport, right. ever. Uh, but th- there has been an issue of drafting players based on potential and having that blow up in your face. You mentioned Christian Dean mm-hmm. earlier, who went number three in the same draft that, that Steve Birnbaum and Andre Blake went in. You have um, Omar Salgado also going to Vancouver. Vancouver. Maybe it's just, maybe this is more it a story of Vancouver be, yeah. drafting rather than people drafting on potential. Um, I, I may have to think about this more. But but the idea of draft grades where these players haven't even gone through a preseason, let alone suited up and played um, a minute or a season or two mm-hmm. or three seasons, um, going back and looking back at, at draft classes or tracking trades for draft picks and what they turned into is, is much more interesting to me and I think probably a better endeavor um, than trying to assign draft grades. That said, people read draft grades. Pieces, yeah, and that's so. and that's what why they exist. Um, yeah. People will immediately want to digest that. They immediately want to know a final answer on how how did my team do? How did this other team do? What you know? Blah right. blah blah. Um, that's why I, I I'm actually more amenable to the winners and losers format. Like who rather than trying to parse the shades of gray in the middle, you know, just separate them into two or three tiers teams into two or three tiers and just say this team uh did really well by collecting two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in allocation uh while also getting two players who are going to help them that's right. that's a win in the draft right whereas this, this looks the LA like Galaxy, it turned out well that's yeah, what the LA galaxy's only <laughs> yes the, the galaxy the only part their only pick was passing yes yeah on a conference call not even in person right um and so you can't evaluate them because they effectively had no draft participation whatsoever. Yes, um, just, the, the same thing happened with Orlando on the first, the, at least in the first two rounds, they didn't have a pick. So what are you going to say? Uh, are you yeah. going to say they failed at the draft because they didn't trade up? What if the trade demands that people, what if they offered and the trade demands were crazy? Then do you give them an incomplete or a withdrawn? <laughs> right. Um, so but what academic metaphor can we use for this? Yeah. G- grading drafts, uh, uh, the day after, or even you know, we're we're a week after, uh, is not a good. Or not, we're not even a week after, are we? I can't tell no. time anymore. The draft happened. There was a lot of draft prep to do between two leagues, and my mind was turned to mush. Um, it feels like we're a, like a month past the draft. Um, but in any case, you in a lot of cases, also people stuck writing these don't even know that much about the college game. Um, because it's hard to follow MLS as an MLS journalist and then also be an expert in college yep. soccer. It's too much soccer. You can't, you have to sleep and eat and and live. Um, at a certain point, you reach a breaking point. So, um, yeah, Jason is close to that breaking point right yeah, now. I've, by the way, I've uh, I've flirted <laughs> with that one a few times. Uh, it's too much. Um, yeah, it's hard to say that. You know, what if? Columbus ended up, uh, you know, they took Lala Sabubakar and Nico Hansen. What if both of those players end up being uh, best 11 players in 2018, let's say? Um, then we can start grading their draft. Um, at that point, when we find out what these players actually are capable of and um, how they fit into the plans. I mean, what if they took a good player that doesn't fit their plans? Did they fail the right. draft? Did they succeed? And who knows? Um, think, how do you grade um, an out-of-the-blue pick like um like colorado when sam when sam Preha, hamilton to colorado yeah colorado's d- 
done this for years. Yes. Even when Pereja was there, they took Akindele early in the first round. Yes. When he was probably going to be there in the second round as well. No one, but, but they, they wanted to. I, I, they I, wanted to make sure they and, got him. And we also we have to note that on draft day, teams are are blowing smoke. Uh, they're trying to hide their intentions, um, right. and other teams get a sense of who's you know. Oh, I think you know such and such has has eyes on this guy. Um, and maybe right. Dallas it was it maybe Dallas's motivation on that was as simple as we you know hey we noticed Kansas City scouting Akindele like three different times during the college season um, mm-hmm. we think they are interested so we might as well grab him while we have the chance because that's part of right. drafting too it's not just I'm going to take the best player and then you take the next best player and so on and so forth right. you're you're trying to evaluate your competition and grab the player that is most likely to not be there when you get another chance right which is why United traded up to get Buescher last year because right. he because, was their guy and, and I assume that they United also had a list of like these are the players we're willing to trade up for um and he mm-hmm. was on that clear obviously he was on that list um and other teams probably have their own process um but yeah it's I don't the draft itself has uh, completely drained me of my life force is, is my end point, I think. I think we are going to let Jason get some sleep now. Thank you all for listening. Um, find us at blackandredunited.com. Of course, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We, we read everything that's emailed to us, even if we don't respond. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us. Preseason starts on Monday. Um, so if if your brain isn't mush yet, Jason, it, it will be very soon because we are going to be launching the Minutes Tracker again. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Um, yeah, please tell a friend about the show. Uh, ben should be back next week. We'll have a full, full roster here anyway. Um, so for Jason Anderson, I'm Adam Taylor, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Brains.